Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Mouthy IP. My name is Sarah Stream, and I'm taking over for Dan German, our normal host with the most. And today we have a special guest with us, in addition to the lovely Kate Tyner. Um, today we have Rhonda Anderson, who is a subject matter expert in dental infection control. And we are going to talk a little bit about biological monitors. So Rhonda, do you want to introduce yourself and give everyone a little bit of a background? Sure. I am, um, like Sarah said, my name is Rhonda Anderson. I have been in the dental industry for over 30 years. Um, I have worked in a dental office. I have been a sales rep, and now I work for a manufacturer um, of, um, of dental instruments, as well as um, um, infection control products, including spore testing and sterilization monitoring of, of many different types. Um, so Sarah has asked me to come on board today uh, because of my knowledge on, on this particular subject that we're talking about today. Well, thank you so much for being here, Rhonda. So I wanted to start out by just kind of going over the basics. So when we say biological monitoring, that is different than our chemical indicators or chemical integrators. Yes. So biological monitoring is actually testing to see if we're killing the spores during a load. Correct. And um, although there are really good reasons to use sterilization monitoring, like steam indicators and integrators, which are two different types of strips that you can use, but you are required to provide and keep results of your uh, spore testing or your biological monitoring on a regular basis. Well, I can add. So <laughs> biological indicators are so important, right? Because they are the, the most true test of that the time and the pressure and the temperature have been appropriate to actually kill the hardest to kill bacteria. But they are loaded with an actual pathogen and what we see in the incubator or like the testing is we were able, we confirmed that we were killing this um, temperature resistant pathogen. And so biological indicating is super important and it is part of like any facility that is doing sterilization has to have biological indicators. And so this is a place that we often talk, um, I feel like a little bit of the villain sometimes I come from acute care and outpatient um, medical care where we are required to use standards for accreditation for biological monitoring. And um, the standard of care is such that we use ST79 is um, the steam sterilization American national standard. And that tells us we should do that biological indicator because it's the most true test at least once a week. That is, we have to know that 
we're affirming and validating that when we do heat sterilization, indeed, our processes are killing the germs we think they are. Because when we sterilize things, it's not like putting them in the dishwasher. We have blood, body fluid, pathogens that have to be killed between uses, right? And so that's why it, it gets us excited as infection control people. And so this is a place where when I came to dental and I was very much like steeped in my own world, I was surprised that the dental world, many of the facilities that I've been in do not do as frequent of biological indicating as we would use in other environments. And so that's part of what prompted the conversation with Sarah. Again, I'm learning a lot about the dental environment. What are the barriers? What do we know to be the best standards in dental? And so this is an awesome opportunity to talk about what are the standards that we use in dental? Why? And what products should match up with that? And what processes should? Right. So speaking of those standards, really what we consider in dentistry, our gold standard that we want to uphold is our CDC guidelines for infection control for dentistry. And when it comes to biological monitoring, the CDC does recommend that it is still a weekly standard. So similar to your ruling that the weekly is, is the best standard um, that we set forth. Um, because really, if we are doing it further than weekly, you know, there's a lot of patients that have been seen, especially in a busy dental office, that would have the potential of be having exposure, right, um, in between testing, um, if you had a failure. I don't know about anybody else out there, but I don't want to be the one to call a patient. Right. I've never had to call a patient before, <laughs> but I, that would be just awful. Yes. And, and it's, you know, and it's a big question mark, right. For a lot of our practices is, you know, what if I do have a breach in my office, how do I handle that? You know, what kind of forms do I have to do? Like there's a whole myriad of things that that just uncovers of, of what do I have to do to be in compliance with that? So, you know, again, the best standard is to stay with weekly. Um, and there are resources for when breaches happen, but um, it is, um, is better to stay weekly. Um, but, but when we talk about weekly, we can also talk about the type of testing that we're doing, right? So, um, there are usually two types of tests that are most prominent in the dental world. One is in-office testing, where they would actually do testing right in the office and have an incubator where they incubate the spore, um, and get results um, fairly quickly. Um, but what's most prevalent probably in dentistry at, at this time is mail-in testing. And it's where they take a strip that has spore on it and run it through their sterilizer um, and then mail it into a third party um, who then does, uh, you know, grows the spore for them. The issue with mail-in in my mind is that it can take a while to get those results back. Um, and in fact, I recently just had a situation in an office that we were talking about this and she said, yeah, you know, they, we were talking about doing it weekly and they said, you know, yes, for sure. It, you know, we do mail in and yes, it takes about a week and a half for us to get the results back. And, um, she said, you know, we all know that the standard is if you have a positive score test, you test again immediately, but she was thinking, well, by the time I get my week and a half one back, 
I've already tested again. <laughs> Doesn't that count as my second test? And so that was a question that I had too, you know, how, yeah, maybe, but how <laughs> is that really part of the protocol? So it was a good question that she had. And I thought it really spoke to why in office is so much better because there's never a question within office because it's right. so much faster. So, and like to put this in real world terms, right? Like um, it, it is also not unheard of for and bigger facilities will run them at least once a day or even with every load, especially if a load has something particularly sensitive in it, such as an implant um, that has to be sterilized before use on a person. Um, and so when we think about that, you guys have experience with this. There are instruments that you might not have enough of that you're going to process more than one time in a day, right? So yeah. give me an example of one of those things. We'll use it as an example here. Well, there's a there's several different, you know, really procedure kits that you yeah. would use multiple times a day. Maybe a hygiene kit. Okay. Um, kind of our rule of thumb, being the instrument company that I am, is that we set up offices to have enough instruments for half a day plus one patient. Okay. So we would expect they would do it twice a day. Perfect. So the idea is if you use that hygiene kit twice in a day, I'm going to use that as an example. And we find I'm, I'm running through, you know, I send in my, or we'll use the in-office because that's a little easier to figure out. But if I run my biological indicator on Monday, first thing when I'm in the office and I find out that it fails, I'm actually tracing back. Like if it's truly failed, something's wrong with my sterilizer. And this is why we run them. For this reason, I would have to think about how many times has this hygiene kit been used since the last time I ran a biological indicator. And in the case of the hygiene kit you're talking about, in a very reasonable setup, twice a day, we've literally used one kit on 14 people. That's just one thing that has gone through the sterilizer, right? And so that is um, the idea behind why you would run it more frequently is to refine the ability that we would really distill down how frequently we're processing those pieces of equipment that we wouldn't have to notify that many people that we have um, better diagnostics of how our sterilizer is functioning. And again, I think it's very easy in a practice, like day after day after day, you're doing the same thing. Um, literally, I was in a presentation not that long ago um, we were talking to healthcare, uh, you know, medical care people, for example, and they were comparing themselves to dentistry. You know, these are the standards we use, but you consider the amount of blood and body fluid in dentistry. It's like a butcher shop. <laughs> Literally, the words are, it's like a butcher shop. And I was like, well, no, not totally. But again, like, it is a place where there is a ton of blood and body fluid. And so we, you get immune to that day after day after day of how much you're seeing, the idea that yes, you absolutely deal with sterile tissue, it's higher risk than most practitioners are probably considering day after day, just because you're in it all day. Right, and so, I, I do OSHA training as well. And one of the things that I've really been put, talking to my, my OSHA people that I do training with recently is that my husband had to have stitches this summer. And so we went to an emergency room and we were going to be on vacation when he needed to have his stitches removed. And I said, well, I can remove the stitches. I sell scissors and <laughs> cotton pliers and I can remove the stitches. And so he said, oh, well, you can just have the suture removal kit. 
And he handed me a suture removal kit with metal instruments in it. And I thought, well, no, wouldn't you be reusing these? And he said, no, we just throw those away. And so I think as dentists, as dentistry and, and many of the offices that I tell this story to, we think that doctor's offices are reprocessing as much many instruments as we are every day. And they are not. A lot of that stuff is disposable that we would consider reprocessable in a dental setting. And so we have what I like to call the double whammy. We are exposed chairside to bloodborne pathogens, but we are also expo exposed during instrument processing. So we get it twice with every patient, right? Well, furthermore, like sharps, right? Like not only the blood and body fluid, the splash type risks, but also the idea of you're dealing with sharp instrumentation and passing it back and forth. So yeah, like, and I'm not saying this to scare dental practitioners, but just to recognize that like, other environments don't necessarily handle all those risks every single day. And this environment really does. So it pays to be cautious. Um, and I think that's why it's a great thing to talk about biological indicating because you guys were using the example of a send out test, right? So if I send out a test today on Friday and it takes a week and a half to get it back, then is it three weeks since we knew that you're your sterilizer was running properly? By the time I do my second testing, yes. Yeah, that, yeah. That's just, that just seems like an inconceivable risk. And so it makes sense to think more about, um, you know, what, not how much it costs. I know that that always comes into play, but when we think about why are we doing the test and how often should we do the test in order to do the appropriate validation, right? And I think that was the spirit of why we wanted to get together today. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the cost of in-office versus mail-in is very similar. So it's not like it's a big, there is a setup cost of initial purchase of an incubator, you know, um, but for the peace of mind, that setup cost is totally worth it. Um, and knowing that you could do two tests, when you could do one test, have a negative, do a next test, that very same the very next day, right? That you had your results. It's saying that you have a 24 hour result, which is most of the spore testing. We do sell a 12 hour. So that is a possibility, but, but that's a very small patient base versus the big. And you know, the one thing I do wanna mention and you were mentioning, mentioning it is that how many times that um, you know, set, that hygiene set gets seen, right? How many times does it get through sterilization? One of the other key components to sterilization and sterilization monitoring is make sure, making sure you date all your packaging. And in dentistry, I see a lot of people not doing that. Not only dating, but also marking what sterilizer those packages go in. Because otherwise, if you do have to recall, you need to be able to go back and track these were sterilized and this sterilizer that failed so that you can reprocess those instruments properly. Uh, but wouldn't you agree, Sarah, that we don't see a lot of dating sometimes in dentistry? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think um, I see it very often in offices that, you know, and I think a lot of people just like Kate said, get desensitized, we're busy, I'm just packaging instruments. You don't even think about it sometimes, but that is such a critical step in packaging because I don't wanna have to 
try to track down instruments and remember what was in a load, you're never going to remember that. If you did have to do that, you didn't date your packages or label them with the sterilizer number, you have to pull everything. Yep. I had an office who weren't, wasn't dating and they had two positive score tests and they had to re-sterilize their whole office. They had to shut down for a whole day and not see patients mm -hmm. because they hadn't been dating. Let me tell you, they date now. Well, and I always, Sarah probably gets tired of me saying it, but I always think to myself, how do you make it easy for people to do the right thing? And in organizations that do the best job with dating, they use a date gun. It's literally like the sticker you see with price tags <laughs> that they just, they set it for the day of the sterilizer, you know, what sterilizer, what load number, and they just tag them, <laughs> tag everything that's going in or coming out. And um, that is one way to standardize practice just make it a little easier for people to do the right thing. Because there's also, you know, what side do you mark it on? What type of marking pen, yada, yada. Again, like, how can we make this easy to do the right thing? And to say that we've actually been in some facilities that do a beautiful job with this. I'm thinking one facility that we were in, Sarah, where they had four sterilizers that ran near constantly, great big practice. And they had, um, incubators and they, they had enough incubators, they labeled those incubators for exactly what sterilizer they were using and they had the process set up that they just made it easy to properly label things, to run the process, et cetera. Um, it, it's absolutely possible. Um, you know, I don't, I don't mean to like wax somehow that like it's impossible to do the right thing. It's not, it's actually very easy to do the right thing if you have the right equipment in your office. Exactly. And it's all about having the right equipment and planning and, and having procedures in place, right? And having protocols in place. And so, and also making sure that you only, you don't just have one person who knows how to run the sport testing, right? Because there could be a day that on the day that you, let's say we always run our sport tests on Monday, which that is a good practice, by the way, to pick a day of the week that you do run your sport testing. Um, but let's say we, run it on Monday and Susie runs it on Monday every day, every year, every day. And Susie's sick on Monday. <laughs> what do we do? Right? So it's better to have other people cross-trained as well so that you're not relying on just one staff member to perform that task. Absolutely. And if Susie wants to go on vacation. Yeah. Have surgery. Right. <laughs> so so like, a lottery. You have business continuity <laughs> to be able to do <laughs> the test. <laughs> and I think it also, um, I'm learning a lot about the environment, but I think it's easy in, in practices where one person is assigned this task that somehow it becomes like, um, it's only their job. It's only their job to worry about it. Really, this is, a, it's a practice-wide issue. If I'm using an instrument on my patient, don't I wanna have that same level of certainty that the person who runs that device, that all of us are part of this, right? I need to decontaminate my instruments before they come back, et cetera. We're all part of instrument processing. And I think that that, um, I would hope that that leads to a little more um, shared ownership of the process. Right. We've also I, encouraged some facilities to do like, um, especially if you're accredited, do emergency preparedness, like during huddle one day, like just practice it out. We had an incubator go bad. Like, it looks like we had a failure. What do we do? And again, that shouldn't be just one person who has to answer that question. That's the group and the huddle should be able to say, okay, this is our emergency. This is how we would react. Um, so I, I really like the idea of that kind of shared accountability for all the instruments. 
exactly. And, and, you know, you are supposed to have a dedicated infection control coordinator in your practice, um, which would, you know, that person would make sure that these things have, have happened. Doesn't mean that that person has to do every single thing, right? They can definitely delegate tasks. So it should definitely not be put all on one person to do all of those things all the time. Um, because it does, it is, we are all in this together and multiple licensures are under this edict. And so we want to make sure that we're providing the best care to our, for our patients on a, on a weekly basis. And this is a place where if we compare to any other environment, the infection preventionist would not have to do all those tasks, right? The infection preventionist would be accountable to train people on what the practice should look like. They could be a person who coaches during those huddles where we do a little procedure of what happens when it goes bad. The infection preventionist should be looking at the logs to ensure that we're doing things appropriately. But really, again, it's just shared accountability. That person should be the champion and they should have other people who help them out. But yeah, we all share the accountability for instrument processing. Yeah. And, you know, if it takes you, you know, a to take a spreadsheet and put a checklist on a wall that these are the things that have to happen weekly and score testing being among them, then that, that needs to make sure that at least somebody is looking at that checklist to make sure that it got done that week. Um, because I've often, wa I've walked into a couple of offices where they've had good intentions and had checklists on the wall. And I've looked at their checklists and they hadn't done a score test for three weeks. You know, so it's, it's one of those things is that you can, you, you know, you can make these policies, but you got to practice the policy too, right? So I love, I love the idea of having a, what do we do huddle, right? Um, because I think we, we tend to just think that's going to just handle itself. I often get told a lot of times, you know, we've never had a positive score test, never had a positive, never had a positive reading in our, in the, all the time that we practice kind of like it's a not it's a non-issue, right? But oftentimes I find, and I don't know about you, Sarah, but I find in dentistry too that sometimes people run score testing all by themselves. Like they'll run the the test in the sterilizer without any other instrumentation in it. And so of course, if you run it that way on the perfect setting in the perfect world, you're never going to have a positive score test but that's not how we run our instruments. So we do need to make sure that whether we're using a strip to mail in or a, or a vial, that we treat it like an instrument when we put it in the sterilizer. Um, it needs to be treated in, in a full load. It needs to be, because thus we're testing is testing the sterilizer, yes, but it is also testing us, right? It's testing that we're doing the procedures correctly. Right, not putting too many things in, uh, making sure we're cleaning the, the water and make, putting fresh water in, removing rust, making sure the, bat, the gas gets clean, all those practices that we should be doing so that the sterilizer is functioning at its top capability. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's an excellent point. And what I would add, and my question to you guys is since you've worked in the environment, who holds people accountable? Who's the boss? Like if you weren't doing your job in the practice, who's accountable to kind of chase after you and say, come on? you need to do your job. Is that a practice manager? Is it depends on the size of the practice. You okay. know, if it's a single doctor practice, oftentimes that falls to the doctor. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but if it's a larger or a group practice, there is usually a practice management manager. Mm -hmm. um, in, in many of my group practices now, you know, they have actual coordinators that coordinate all the locations that are overall managers. Mm -hmm. So they'll have individual managers for each location, um, but then they'll have an overall coordinator. And fortunately with for us, we, we uh, Hugh Freedy, the company I work for, we have a product called Greenlight that uses a, a cloud-based system that people can store their spore testing in. But when you have a situation of a large clinic or multiple sites, your director, the person who's at the director level, they can actually have visibility of each and every clinic to make sure they got their spore testing done that week. Right. So it is really nice to have it all online because they have the they have the ability to verify that that's happening. I think you make an excellent point because what I'm getting at is do people who have the accountability to check those sheets have the authority to enforce it, right? That, that's always been a problem in infection control, no matter what environment you work in, right? Like if the policy says we should do this and I see that we're not, is it my job as the IP to hold people accountable and wag my finger at them? Or is that something where I go to their boss and I say, because really it should be their boss. Right, especially if you're having, if it's the dental assistant, for example, who's running the test, doing the work, they have other jobs in the practice. Um, can you go between different levels of worker, right? And say, hey, uh, you are not doing your piece of the pie. Um, and I would really encourage that um, kind of shared accountability model that um, the IP yet makes a lot of sense that they can run the test and they can own the policy. But when people aren't, if we go three weeks in a row, where it wasn't done, is that on the on the IP or is that on the person who was meant to hold people accountable? I think authority and accountability should usually be tied, I think. And that's it's a very tough problem. Well, and I find it's harder in a smaller office than it is in a bigger office, to be honest. Sure. Because I feel like those roles are very gray designated in a large office. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a smaller office, you know it's not, it is a lot grayer, right? And so um, we've had situations where there have been breaches in offices and the doctor has pointed at the assistants and said, it's their job. And the assistants have said, but you're the one who's supposed to make making sure we do it right. Like, so it, you know, you don't want to get into that finger pointing situation where, you know, um, the person who really, it is the ultimate responsibility, which I, um, you know, at the very bottom line, it is the person who holds the license in the office, right? right so right. that it is their overall responsibility to make sure that mm -hmm. these things are happening in their facility that they work in. I think also those people that have accountability need to be educated on the why. Why do we need to do spore testing every week? It's not so we can just check a box off on our checklist, right? This is so we can provide safe care to our patients. We don't have to worry about any of these infection control breaches. It's an important thing that we have to do. And so when they go to talk to the assistant about accountability, they can also then educate them on the why. This is why it's important. Right, right. I agree with you. And I think a lot of those kind of conversations, I always encourage facilities to kind of script that out. 
And I would say, if you're going to talk to somebody about the importance of sterilization, then I would say, I would take the piece of equipment. I would say, when this is sterile, there is no vegetative life in this package, right? That is a tall order. Many things have to go correctly to say that this is sterile. Only the biological indicator can certainly verify that our processes have led to this piece of equipment not having any vegetative bacteria on it at all. Um, and so that's where I think, again, you really have to talk to people, what, was, what were we trying to do? And yes, the chemical indicate, they help. They tell us if it got to the right temperature, but there's so many factors involved because we have this tall order of sterilization that we have to use this biological indicator. So that's something that I would encourage anybody on the call who is the person who is meant to tell people to kind of script that out, little elevator speech in their mind. If you're gonna to talk to people about it, to sketch that out. That would be a great reason to call, I think Rhonda or Sarah or Kate to say, help me sketch that out so that when I go talk to people, I can really make it real for them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, uh, you know, you were saying, you were saying that about, um, you know, that that is our final step, right? To kill all life forms, that's our final step, right? And, uh, you know, we have so many of these emerging viruses and all sorts of different things coming at us, right? Monkeypox, polio now again. Mm -hmm. There's have. another Ebola outbreak in Africa right now. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's insane. It feels like it's coming at us in every direction, and so I feel like offices do worry about that, but they do need to trust that their protocols work. Right? They've mm -hmm. got to trust that you know we don't take stuff out of our ultrasonic or our instrument washer and put it in people's mouths. That would be disgusting. Right. Right. We, we put it, we take it, we put it in those items to be debrided and then we put it in the sterilizer to kill all life forms. So they need to understand again, back to what Sarah was saying, the why, right? Of, of what we do in the process so that we do end up with a perfectly sterilized instrument. Absolutely. So we've talked about frequency and we've talked about types of tests. I wanted to hit on record keeping really quick because there are record keeping requirements for this as well. So we want to make sure we're logging all of our test results. But on top of that, you also want to do what we call a control test, right? We want to make sure that our uh, biological indicators are actually working correctly. So when you run your loads and you sterilize those tests, you'll take one out of the same lot, out of the same box and you won't sterilize it and incubate it to make sure that the spores actually do grow in that one. And then right. you'll log all of your results. Right. And um, we've seen in a few offices that they're logging, but maybe they're not logging quite correctly. Mm -hmm. Right, Kate, do you wanna talk about that? So one of the practices we saw was that the control should have its own line, right? Like when did it get run? What sterilizer was it in, et cetera? Did it pass or fail? Right. And it should always come up as a fail that we want it to fail. That's how we know that our control device is working. And I've been in practices that I think you can tell just by the log, the person who's filling that out doesn't know what they're writing down. And that's just unfortunate. It's like the idea that the control is its own test all by itself. It gets its own line, why you ran it, what it did. And then the next line would be um, the biological indicator itself that ran in the sterilizer and that it. Past, right? So you should have two different line rows 
Um, we have some nice logs that um, on the website that maybe those can go into the show notes. People don't have to use them, um, but I think that some of them are helpful. A practice had actually um, had some really great logs in place that we like so much. We said, hey, can we use these? And we wanted to give them credit, but they're like, no, 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 we don't want to have credit. So um, <laughs> with that, um, even one of the logs has, you know, um, kind of preformed, uh, you know, like this is a hygiene kit. And I just, I circle that so that it's easier for people to write down what was in the sterilizer and their dental specific items. So those things would help um, in ensuring that the people who log those things maybe do a teach back, right? You explain the process to them. And, you know, you said, hey, if you were explaining this to one of your coworkers, how would you explain what you're logging? And I think that will help them show their competency and their level of understanding and give you an opportunity as the infection prevention is to kind of like, okay, you understood this well, but let me tell you a little more about this one facet so you understand it better. And it's something, honestly, it's very important. There's no reason why we can't have those educational sessions every single year because they're very, very important. Well, and as a manufacturer, we actually sell logs that go along with, they, we include logs in our tests or our starter kits. And you can get refills of those logs as well. Um, but I find one of the things that people get confused about our log is that we have positive and negative, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of pass and fail. And so I think people are a little confused about what positive means because people mm -hmm. think positive is a pass, right? right? But actually in score testing, positive is a fail, right? Because positive means that we positively have uh, have spore available. Negative means that there was no spore. And so we want negative tests to come out of our sterilizer. So I think that is a little confusing. And I also think that's why a lot of people hedge on doing their own spore testing because they think it's complicating and confusing. But I will tell you that as a manufacturer, we sell very thorough step-by-step -step with pictures, how to do it. Um, it's a full little fold out sheet to show them exactly how to do it step-by-step. -step. And if that's not enough, I will come in and help you. But you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're confused about it and you're not sure how to do it, call the manufacturer. They will definitely walk you through and help you understand how to run your test. Right. I totally, Rhonda, I agree with in the best programs I've seen they're always pre-made logs from a manufacturer. No matter what healthcare setting I'm in, they're pre-made logs. And I think from a user perspective, what I would also say about that, the user's telling, like the manufacturer's telling you what you need to have on that log. There's a reason it's that way. And I think it takes some of the onus off the person who's trying to ensure that practice is in place. I don't have to come up with the items I need to track. I need to follow the directions that somebody gave me. And I, my personality is such, I would always rather do what somebody tells me. I don't want to have to make it up myself. Too risky. I would rather um, use the manufacturer log. And the idea that with that, there's support, videos, pictures, et cetera. And I always say on a log, it's nice to have an example, um, a line filled out. Um, it, it can be a little wasteful, but if you're making them yourself, I think it's important on the printed sheet to show people what it should look like um, so that they have a little bit of a guide when they fill it out. I totally agree with you. Well, do you ladies have anything else to add about biological indicators? I think we've really, really celebrated the utility of biological indicators 
thoroughly. I think so too. I hope we have some listeners out there that are going to go into their office tomorrow morning and check out what kind of biological indicator they have in their processes and make sure everything is up to date and you're, you're processing at least weekly, right? That's the right. goal. I remember at least weekly. weekly. Yes. Weekly with good records, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Rhonda, for being here. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Yes. Thanks so much. And for all of our listeners out there, we will catch you on the next episode of the Mouthy IP. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP infection control hotline at 402-552-2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office.